0: No. Hello and welcome to the All Good Stories podcast, where we believe all good stories belong to Jesus. And when we look for Jesus in the stories around us, we find him more fully
1: in our own. We're your hosts, Chris Bowden and Simon Campbell, two millennial dads who love pop culture and making connections from the content we love to the God who loves us. And we know adventure is out there. So in episode
0: two, we're going to earn another Wilderness Explorer Merit Badge as we find the good stories in Up. Hey, thanks for checking out All Good Stories. Before we dive into episode two, here's a quick refresh on why we're here. Uh, We're two guys who keep having hallway conversations at work about the different movies and TV shows we're watching, often nerding out around cinematic details, themes, and even stuff that reminds us about Jesus along the
1: way. And as people who believe and follow Jesus, we want the stuff we're watching to be another opportunity to talk about him and... Um, we're both dads, and so particularly we want to be able to bring Jesus into the conversation with our kids and our families to help them see Jesus all over the place in their everyday lives. That's exactly right. And I think we also find that too often we'll see kind of this default
0: in Christian culture to place pop culture and faith as just kind of like natural enemies to one another. And instead, we believe we can grow our perspective to see what's good in really any story we're consuming and maybe even deepen our faith in Jesus along the way even when it stretches us beyond what our
1: comfort zone may be. And to be fair, we're not saying that the makers of these movies or the shows that we talk about here had any intention of having these stories connected to Jesus in any way. Right, right. We're just saying that when you tell a good story, there's going to be something that connects to Jesus because all good stories belong to Jesus.
0: (laughs) And there it is. That's enough prefacing for now. Thanks again for being a part of this with us. And let's jump in.
1: So we're talking about Up and uh, (laughs) wow, this is made by Pixar Animation Studios. And this is, I had to double take on this, like 2009 is when it was released.
0: I don't know about you. This was the year I graduated high school.
1: Yeah, I was a year before, but it feels like, oh, yeah, this is still a new movie. No, no, Uh, (laughs) but but it was uh, released in 2009. Huge box office success. 735 million dollars after spending about 175 million dollars to make
0: yeah that's a good profit
1: (laughs) yeah and also it has acclaim as well it won not one but two academy awards for best animated feature and best original score that soundtrack is, is
0: it's like its own character in the movie all on its own. This is a real uh, special one. I need to sneak in a quick shout out to my brother, Reed, and his wife, Emily. This is like a core movie for them. This is like pillar of their relationship, lots of themes, even into their wedding. In like the most tasteful way you ever could think, right? You hear like okay. Pixar movie in a the wedding theme, you're like, oh, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> it was so good. So credit to Reed and Emily if you're listening. I hope you're listening. We're about to talk about your favorite movie of all time. So let's hope we don't ruin it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so here's the story. We have this main character, Carl, and we are introduced to him as a little boy, actually, who's intrigued with adventure and especially the, the exploits of the Zeppelin flying adventure, yes. Charles Munts in Paradise Falls, which is a land lost in time. Carl meets this little girl, Ellie, who shares this dream of adventure and going to Paradise Falls And Mm -hmm. makes Carl promise to take her. And then in this montage, we sort of see their whole little life together. Uh, The most
0: wonderful Uh, and (laughs) heart-wrenching introduction to a movie
1: of all time. So much happens in this few minutes of footage. And Carl and Ellie get married and grow old together. Mm -hmm. And they have this dream kind of always going on in the background of going to Paradise Falls. And this is represented by this picture of their clubhouse as kids, which becomes their real house Mm -hmm. um, on the cliffs next to Paradise Falls. And at the end of the montage, we see Ellie get sick and she passes before she and Carl could complete this dream, go to Paradise Fall, do the thing. And this tragedy... Of unrealized dream um, hardens Carl into this cantankerous, frustrated old man who seems to just be waiting to die, <laughs> and so that's where, like, that's where the story really kicks off, and that's yeah. where we right. see him. And like, I think that it's so interesting that we have a children's movie with an old man as the central character. <laughs> Right. It is not often
0: the animation studio is like, hey, you know who'd be great for a lead in this? The 85 year old curmudgeon. Yeah. Yes. It's like this movie in Grand Torino. You know, it's like very
1: different <laughs> energies yeah. we get from leads at this age. Well, and, I, and it doesn't, I, there's a lot about this movie that I don't think fits. A lot of the patterns we're accustomed to with mm-hmm. children's movies. It's bizarre in a lot of ways. But as we look at the rest of the synopsis here, kind of everything changes when Carl is forced to leave this home that has meant mm-hmm. so much to him and Ellie. And he just decides to, and this is where it gets really weird, float his house to Paradise Falls using an enormous mass of balloons. And then we see kind of this unique cast of characters surrounding this adventure of Carl, a boy wilderness explorer, talking dogs, giant bird named Kevin, who turns out to be a, you know, mother bird. And and, and he even meets this idol explorer, Charles Muntz. And we kind of watch this adventure unfold as Carl seeks to sort of realize this dream and make it a, a reality
0: great recap we highly recommend go watch it on disney plus which reveals our cards a little bit Mm -hmm. to say hey simon Is it a good story? And we're going to make the case that, yeah, this is a great story. But there's a few movie magic details for us that we just love geeking out over that we think help make it a good story. Um, One of those being this montage we mentioned at the beginning of this recap of their lives, really telling an entire life story in about 10 minutes of screen time. I don't even think it's that, is it?
1: It's incredible. You build so much connection with the characters in such a short period of time and with no dialogue. That's the moment for me where it's like, oh, I understand how this won an Academy Award. Like, I get it. It's so good. Yeah. I love that
0: it doesn't uh, hide from some of the realities of life in the story as well. You get them establishing their life. They're painting their house. They've got these great memories. Anyone who is married or been in a relationship probably has a lot of these phases in their own lives. It's very relatable, right? Like you move into this rundown place, you make it your own, you make it work, you establish yourself and it becomes more emotional as you go, they've yeah. even got this scene where they see babies in the sky. They've got these clouds, start drinking um, babies, yep. which is uh, super fun, super cute. They're setting up a nursery and they yeah. have this turn in the story of the loss of a pregnancy in a children's movie,
1: a very grown up theme in here and kind of their or even like in the struggle. Os- I, I mean, it's not clear 100 percent, but it's almost like having children is never going to be a thing for them. You know right, what I mean? Like, right, right. There's this heavy a, theme here, yeah. Whether it's a loss
0: of a pregnancy, whether uh, it's an inability to get pregnant, we don't really know. But yeah. um, you're dealing with a really mature theme that gives this mm-hmm. depth to their relationship that is still very accessible for like a family audience. Like it's not going to
1: be a weird moment for families, you right? But what's there is happening. You, you know, yeah. something's off, something's wrong. There's one little moment in that montage that is going to stick in my head is when Ellie has received the news. They've come home from the doctor and... And you find her sitting in the backyard in a chair with her head kind of held up. In, like you can see the sadness and the loss on her face, but mm-hmm. her chin is up. She's letting the breeze watch. Oh, like she's not defeated. She's not. There's something so strong and powerful about her yeah, in that moment too. Like this resilience and hope that persists unspoken, even amidst this grief. And that's when the the dream is reintroduced to, you know, go to Paradise Falls. Carl reintroduces this dream. But that moment of her in the chair, I can think through certain times in my life where I'm like, I know what she's feeling right there. It's a very good empathetic moment for us
0: as an audience. And then I love, as we go on, like... They are trying to get towards this goal, this dream, and real life just keeps happening. Like yeah. the car breaks down, and we got a tree falls on their house, and they got to repair their house. There's all these very practical, yeah. real things that ultimately get in the way of this goal, none of which are bad. No one's to blame that this dream doesn't happen. Yeah. I think the same is true, like in relationships with friends, marriages, family. There are unrealized dreams and hopes and
1: promises that ultimately aren't the fault of anybody. Real life happens and can get in the way yeah and then that montage finishes with this grief of him navigating the loss of ellie and all that stuff and then you have this really poignant moment in the very beginning of the film and then we <laughs> transition to him waking up in this muted world as a grumpy old man hardened by this tragedy, cracking his back and riding a chairlift down the down the stairs because
0: you do you you come out of this montage literally in a church he's alone your heart is broken as an audience and has this seamless transition to his front steps which is so smooth and you're right how do we possibly go forward from here like i'm emotionally exhausted oh i know
1: comedic (laughs) (laughs) like
0: it's that rattle as it just moves down and it kind of stops he has to hit it, and then it keeps going right. And it's the the pacing of that is so good that they take thirty seconds for him to just get down the stairs. Yeah. No,
1: I love the head wiggle as he's coming down in the chair, like just the slight vibration. Of a little the like a bobblehead, like, thanks yeah, to the yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. I think there's a couple other little, you know, movie magic details in here that as I watched through it again, just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Like, whoa, that is such a cool like everywhere in Carl and Ellie's house, everything that's Carl's is square, which is what his whole fa- like his face yeah. is literally his, as like a character shape is a boxy person. A square. He's a square. And so like his bedside lamp is a square. The clock, his glasses, frames, the frames, any frame, any frame in the house that holds a picture of Carl is square. Any frame in the house that holds a picture of Ellie is round and kind of oval. And so like her lamp, her chair, it's all like you have these hard edges and this rounded. And so you get this sense of complementing, completing, balancing each other. And so like you get Mm -hmm. this sense of loss already that like, there is this huge part He's missing. missing this house. other half,
0: yes. the person who rounds out his edges, so to yeah. speak. That is so because I mean, you get that even at the beginning of the movie. You get introduced to Carl, who has this sense of adventure, but is ultimately you catch on like a pretty shy kid. He is not a talker, right? He doesn't yeah. say a word unless he's by himself. And when he meets Ellie, he just shakes his head no. Yeah. And yes, she's so you know, boisterous sure. and all that stuff. Even oh, the wedding, like you have place. his
1: side of the family that's super quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, there's guns <laughs> and like, woo woo. Yeah, know, yeah, they're all partying
0: on the other side, side already. Yeah, the contrast there is, is is great. But you get this hint that she's the one who really makes Carl face his fears and be brave and adventurous from the beginning. Like, yeah. he doesn't really seem like a... Risk taker, even though he has this heart of adventure in him, and in the house that ultimately comes there, right? Like they're going after this balloon hint hint that he's got um, in the attic. And she forces him to walk out on this plank to go get it. She's like, Yeah, go get it. And he's like, Okay, I guess I'll go. And then falls through and breaks his arm right <laughs> yeah. But he takes on that risk because she encourages him to and motivates him. I mean, both in that present moment, it seems throughout their lives, and then also like, interestingly enough, even after her passing acts as a motivating force for him. Oh, that's so good. You mentioned this too, but what I thought was really cool is when you're introduced to Carl in his current state, like the house is worn, the colors are muted, it's lost its life and luster. Great symbolism there to Carl's own life. And then you have Russell show up on the front porch in this bright, obnoxiously mm. vibrant, like, big ba- yeah. Boy Scout uniform. This wilderness explorer who's, like, yeah. full of life, right? Like, even in, like, a color palette, he just pops on that front porch. And then, ultimately, you get that same kind of thing change when the balloons arrive for this great reveal out of this house. Really kind of mm-hmm. one of the coolest moments of the movie. It's like, oh, life has kind of returned to him in this yeah. story. Like color has returned colitis-
1: that goes through yeah oh
0: man we could like sit all day in that moment when that house drifts by that girl's bedroom window and that kaleidoscope of colors that drift oh that's what dreams are made of shots like that it's so so cool but again it introduces the theme again when those balloons show up right it's like oh we have purpose and meaning and color that imagery all kind of represents itself again there too Okay, so that's a bunch of movie magic from us. But beyond that, there are a couple themes in this movie that really caught our attention to say, Oh my goodness, these have such a connection to Jesus' character and what he's about. or We can't help but be reminded of Jesus. And so we're going to talk a little about, hey, what in this story? We can't help but say, hey, this really belongs to Jesus. He is all over this one, one of the big first ones for us, just this whole idea of keeping promises. Yeah,
1: this is the thread that runs through the whole movie, both the good side and the challenges or dark side of making promises to people. The first interaction we have between Carl and Ellie, she you know very forcefully kind of demands him, "Promise you'll take us to Paradise Falls," and that runs through the whole movie. There was a couple other parts too where I felt like this thread just kind of kept continuing. And it, you know, different mm-hmm. promises, different people. Even at the beginning of the movie, Charles Muntz says, I promise to bring back the beast of Paradise Falls alive and I won't return until I do, you know. Right. So at this motivation of clearing my name. And so we have that promise in conflict with the characters, and all the characters are trying to either keep their promises or pursue a promise. I feel like that has to belong to Jesus. And specifically this cross your heart deal. And I love the first one in the montage in that scene I mentioned earlier about like she's sitting in the chair and he shows her the picture of Paradise Falls and then makes that motion. You know, after they've mm-hmm. had this death of one dream, so to speak, and, you know, moving on to this other one and you know makes that symbol for crossing his heart. <laughs> And we also have a moment in the adventure once they reach Paradise Falls, that area, and meet Kevin, the bird. Russell is asking Carl to, you know, make sure Kevin stays with us. Don't don't leave him. And asks him to cross his heart. And
0: oh, yeah. To- and Carl, like, has a pause, right? Because yeah. he's like,
1: wait a second uh so serious ask yeah. me to cross my heart mm-hmm. right like there's this recollection of her memory in that moment with Russell right right and we see it a couple times even just in the montage there's a couple times where Carl just makes the motion of cross my heart anytime the the promise to paradise falls comes up he crosses his heart so we we see this promise work its way through the whole movie and this cross my heart phrase it kept coming up as I was watching through this again. Mm. This phrase, I think, this is a spot where this belongs to Jesus. So I I did a good old Google search and uh, looked up where, <laughs> kind of looked up where this uh, phrase comes like a from. true
0: wilderness explorer you, you know went to the internet <laughs> yeah
1: adventures out there. I mean, I looked up the phrase and tried to find like where where it originated and first usage shows up in written usage shows up in a play in 1857 and it's kind of like an homage to actually the sign of the cross in the catholic and other tradition christian no traditions as a sign of the cross of like the seriousness of what you're of what you're saying <laughs> whatever the yeah, promise yeah, is like, and of like hey
0: we're we're employing uh god
1: here as we make this promise okay and as children kind of picked it up and used it following when it originated. It's a little rhyme, cross my heart and hope to die if I so much as tell a lie. So (laughs) we... (laughs) Neat. That's so, so nice and bright for the children. (laughs) But I think it's a way for us to show the seriousness of the promises. And that's something that belongs to Jesus without us really even noticing. Because the seriousness of that promise is sealed in this built-in phrase of cross my heart and hope to die. The reality of that is is huge for me. And as we see in a story that we're craving for promises to be kept, we're craving for someone who will keep their promises. As the hero, we're rooting for Carl to keep his promises here. And this is something (laughs) where I feel like this belongs to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who keeps all of his promises. Uh, And we see that from the, from, you know, throughout the Bible. But there's one story in particular that I was drawn to when I was thinking about the nature of promises. And it's in Genesis 15. It's when Abraham is just kind of beginning his journey with God. Mm -hmm. He's received a promise from God that God will give him children. So mm-hmm. he'll have offspring. He, he's promised him a land that he would make his name great and that this nation that God would make out of him, this people group would be a blessing to all people. Yeah. So these are these are the promises that God has made. But when I look at this story and I think about it in context, Abraham has very little context for God at this point. He's been obedient <laughs> to him. He has this promise, but he's like, how can I know? And so mm-hmm. God's answer to this is sort of like an ancient cross my heart, hope to die situation. If you go back and if you go and read this story, it's kind of weird. So there's, are you about it, to hit me with like old Testament I, imagery I here? Okay. Yep, all right, Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> so you start with tearing apart animals. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, good. Oh, yeah, we are yep. right in okay. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Classic. There's, this, there's this ancient ritual that would have been common at this time of this blood covenant involving animals that would be ripped in half. Once again, good half. for the children. Yep. excellent. Yep. Yep. Good. Yep. good, 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 good. <laughs> animals ripped in half and the pieces would be you know aligned in this aisle in between them and what would happen yeah. is when kings or whatever would make a covenant with one another they would make a promise and then to say that they were you know serious about it they would walk between these pieces to say if i break this promise may this happen to me may i be torn to pieces may my be, my blood be spilt on the ground it's literally like hope to die okay <laughs> and the most po- it oftentimes in these promises the most powerful king would have the lesser king walk through and say i promise to be loyal to you and if i don't this this will happen to me But what's interesting in this story with Abraham is God tells Abraham, okay, go get these animals. Abraham knows right away what to do, takes the pieces. And it's not Abraham that goes through. It's the symbols representing God's presence. They go through the pieces. (laughs) And God is literally saying, cross my heart, hope to die. And even if you don't keep your promises... I will. And that's what we see in Jesus. We see Mm -hmm. Abraham and his offspring and everybody that comes after him never keep their promises, (laughs) never hold up to what they say. (laughs) Does not go well for the descendants of Abraham in promise keeping mode. That's right. And what do we see? We see him on the cross paying the penalty for all of the broken promises of Mm -hmm. all of these people. And so when I think of the movie Up. And I think about a character in a story that's craving for a promise kept. Mm -hmm. This is where I see, and even that phrase, cross my heart, hope to die. We are wanting somebody who will keep their promise no matter what the consequences are. And we see that fulfilled in the -hmm. person of Jesus. Another uh, big theme in the
0: movie is adventure is out there. Literally a quote of the movie. And really this idea of there's adventure out there in life, even you could say after death, even in Mm -hmm. grief. This idea of only when you stand to lose everything... Are you placed in a position where you actually gain what you're meant to be doing or find a new reason and a new purpose? Yeah. I can't help but think of Matthew 10, 39, you know, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Right, so a little bit of like contextual key there. Okay, we're talking about Jesus in Matthew. Great, but this whole idea carries through of Carl has to be faced with losing what is most precious to him in order to step into where he
1: ultimately needs to go to grow and develop as a person. I think that's so right because there's two moments where we kind of see that in those who seek to to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That verse rings true, I think in two parts in the movie we see at the beginning when carl is you know being threatened with losing his home mm-hmm. and going into <laughs> a shady oaks retirement home perfect this is perfect great, great. great. <laughs> yeah and that's what finally gives him the push like okay he's gonna go and live out this promise and then the second moment is after that conflict where the house was burnt you know burned and he he does take the house to paradise falls he sits down he sits in his chair and it's just not right. It's not settled. And so it's not what you thought of. You got everything you wanted. And all of the precious things that he was trying to preserve throughout this adventure, mm-hmm. he pushes right out the door to lighten the load, to literally cast off his burdens so yep. that he can pursue the life that, that God has called in this adventure. You know, like that's that's what I see. We have to do that in our yep. own lives. We're holding on to things that are keeping us From pursuing the adventure that's out there, the the adventure God has called us to. Yeah. And you see it in such a visually dynamic way. You're like
0: literally pushing things out of the house. And what I like is like that acceptance from Carl on the other side of not only has he pushed himself out of the house, but when he takes off in that house, again, he's thrown on Russell's sash, right? He's got the merit badge sash on across his chest. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, he's in now. He's in the club, right? Like he's part of the wilderness. I bet it's over
1: his heart too. I bet that spot is over his heart too. I bet if I go back and watch that, I bet it's right there. I, oh, again, man. I
0: just want to go boo boo.
1: <laughs> but so uh, what's I'll, your, uh, I'll give it to you. That's so great. So what's the what's the deep freeze then in your life then? That's because kind of, that's the last thing. That's the last thing that goes out, and that's like all oh sudden, it's like
0: it's like that stereotypical study guide question of when you watch the movie Up. Uh, what's the what's the chest what's freezer that's freeze, keeping Chris? your house weighed down? <laughs>
1: what do you need to let go of to embrace your life with jesus (laughs) the last thing i think that really belongs to jesus in here we have an opportunity to kind of watch a character deal with some really big things and go through the this grief and loss and this adventure that he's carried away on kind of forces the issue. He forces him to deal with these things that he kind of has chosen not to. Um, yeah, And
0: there's great symbolism in here where his relationship to the house and to Ellie here are really one and the same. Ellie is no longer with us in this story. And yet we get a representation of her really through Carl's attachment to the house. We literally have him talking to the house when he's talking to Ellie. He'll go like, what do I do now, Ellie? And he's looking at his house or. Where he's in the house and looking around and we even get Russell who starts to play that game like he catches on and says like yep. Ellie said I could keep the bird and he's <laughs> like what no she didn't he gets caught in his like, own what? mental I, game I, for I, a moment I told
1: but, him no like a parent back and forth arguing yeah. yeah but
0: again you see like he's caught in that thing and I think to your point you literally see the stages of grief play out in this movie the first one that's really clear is just denial it takes us 14 minutes until carl actually talks to somebody in this movie which Mm -hmm. is incredible but he says our house right like what are you doing to our
1: house when he speaks to ellie she's speaking to the house like he's speaking to ellie through the whole time like she's still there She's still involved in doing those things, which is, you know, you're right. I think that that's an expression of his denial that this happened.
0: He says one of my favorite lines. So like, you can have our house. When I'm dead. <laughs> when slams I'm
1: the dead. the door. Yeah, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Um, but even in that, you've got such like a sense of control that he has over trying to keep this house. As he takes off shortly after, um, he gets caught in this storm and you see yeah. him trying to like catch everything in the house and mm-hmm. hold on to it and kind of hold his life together to hold these things together he's holding on to that we just said he ends up letting go of. So you get this great turning point for him later with you know, the storm. It's literally tied down in one he place. Wakes, so he wakes
1: up anymore. in a pile on it. and, <laughs> and yeah. <so> It's like... <laughs> I thought you were dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then you have the next stage, you see anger, right? His frustration just with every other person throughout. Mm-hmm. At no point is he pleased with anyone. And you yeah. see that chaos just gets added and added. You've got Russell. Okay, chaos has arrived. You've got this yeah. kid. And then you have Kevin. <laughs> it's like Again, one of my favorite movie moments in this is him going, shoo, 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 go away. And Kevin just yeah. goes, just imitates him back, right? Like more chaos, more frustration. And then you have Doug the talking dog on top of all of that. He's just the frustration and the anger and trying to like get all through that. It's like, okay, we obviously have stage two of you trying to work through your grief here. Just like this is not at all what I planned. It's not supposed to go. It's just like drudgery of yeah. frustration for him.
1: Tangent time. The reason that the talking dogs work, here's my here's my theory. <laughs> it's the poor sentence structure and the C spot run kind of thing, like, I want that ball. Uh, yes, throw that ball to me. And the second reason why it works is because you have the alpha beta, you know, seniority structure of the dogs. Yes. yes. And that's what their names are. And Epsilon is the chef. Those are the two things. It gives enough that you're like, oh yeah, they're dogs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> And it really, I mean,
0: like, not to, you know, prolong the point, but you see bargaining in here. He's sneaking his way around, kind of what he knows is probably the core issue of, I'm really gonna see this thing through with this bird. It's gonna come at a cost, but he's lying, sneaking, trying to hold on. He's bargaining his way through this. Yes, right. Can I do both? And and then ultimately you have the depression that we've already hit on, where he's at the cliffside, the house has crashed, Russell's gone, he finally gets everything he wanted, but at the expense of this other relationship that he's built and is faced with a choice, and for me, it's the acceptance side of this that I think is just really beautiful. It's just after Charles Munz meets his demise here in the yeah. movie. And he looks back and the house has drifted it's, off the blimp. It's like slipping like, beneath the clouds. Drifting away. And wouldn't you know it, kind of this yeah. heavenly imagery of slipping into the clouds. And he literally says it's just a house. And that's the first time he doesn't talk about it like it's Ellie. Yeah, he's made the separation. So, so acceptance comes in at the end here. And, and I think it's great. You see this great contrast of Carl's development as flawed as it is, right? It's very human and it's, it's great in that way. But then you see it compared to, say, the Charles Munz character, the other bold mm-hmm. guy in the script. You get these two yep. literally diverging opposing forces yep. um, where you've got. Carl's just getting forced to change and kind of face some different priorities. And then you have Charles Munts who has stayed stuck really kind of this anger vindictive. I'm going to prove my, I have made a promise to myself that Mm -hmm. I've got to clear my name. And you really kind of see the, the, all the issues
1: that come out of that really like suggested, like he has killed many an adventurer for the sake of getting this bird promise. You see both of these men with sort of unfulfilled promises. Carl kind of failed in in keeping his promise to Ellie... To get her down there Mm -hmm. And Charles has failed in bringing this bird back And restoring his reputation But Mm -hmm. the difference between these two men One makes them the hero One makes them the the villain Is that Carl navigates this grief And this loss of whatever And Mm -hmm. and moves on to a new adventure And Charles hasn't
0: Yeah, you you get the uh, adventure book of Carl And then you have the chaos board In the dark conspiracy board of Charles (laughs) Right? It's like you get these two very different Like, these are paper products at <laughs> two very different conclusions <laughs> for us here um, and, and ultimately they're, they're both faced with a choice at the end. It's Kevin or the house or yeah. Russell in the house for Carl and he makes really the right choice and then you have Charles who's just so blindly driven yep. by this drive that he jumps out of that window after them and it's like you've been blinded by it and It's over. You've met your end. You know, and so it's a cool picture of this different type of processing or lack of processing grief Mm -hmm. that I think is just all over this because ultimately a life with Jesus is not a life without grief. A life of Jesus is not a life without pain and loss. And we need to know how to navigate that personally, but then also know how to navigate that with other people. And we need tools and help and support to navigate these things. And then knowing like there are like, triggers of these things that we go, there's so many times where Carl is hit by something in the mood that reminds him of mm-hmm. Ellie that causes these little bouts of extra frustration or anger or protection yeah. that we have to be ready for in our own lives. And I think Jesus is just in the middle of all that. in all of these stages, there's opportunities yeah. to grow in both our, our need and comfort of while not dismissing the reality of what we have to process through when we lose someone mm-hmm. or something yep. really really
1: important to us whatever lost dream or vision that we have for our lives that we that we're grieving we when we follow Jesus we know that there is always a greater adventure that we're called to that we can claim that we can lay hold of mm-hmm. and when we lose, we can't really ever lose the thing that's most important. And and whatever we suffer, whatever we go through, whatever we have to grieve, none of that's gonna be wasted or or take away from the ultimate, you know, the ultimate adventure that we're pursuing. That's so true. I see it and you point it out so so perfectly. There's a moment that I feel like totally belongs to Jesus. There's this line when Russell is reflecting on this kind of lost relationship with his dad and this flimsy promise that he's kind of holding to, clinging to, desiring that, oh yeah, his dad will come to the you know wilderness explorer thing and he'll come and pin this badge on me. Then we'll sit on the curb and eat ice cream and watch the cars go by. Like I, He says, I know it sounds boring, but honestly, it's just the boring stuff that I miss the most.
0: Um, yeah, I remember the
1: most that he remembers the most. Yeah, that's right. And I think that that's the place that I think belongs to Jesus because the promise of presence is so important there. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at our human longings, if we want somebody who is there with us, that cares about us, that knows us, that's wants to do the boring, mundane life stuff with us, mm-hmm. we have a person in Jesus who didn't leave himself removed from us in his, in his place in heaven, but came down to do the boring stuff. We see him walking with his disciples. We see him yeah, eating at a in different time places. and place when he chose to be around with no air
0: conditioning, right? <laughs> yeah, you couldn't have picked like 2000 when the he's internet came all all the on,
1: things. man. You know, like, yeah, he's a carpenter's son. You know that there was a lot of just like normal projects that he was doing and helping with, with splinters and, he and all. Yes, yeah, he didn't want to miss out on the yep. normal thing, and so. I think we see that desire represented in the character of Russell, this desire for just presence, even if it isn't Mm -hmm. just in the mundane. And that belongs to Jesus because we have a God who does that for us. And and what I love in the story is you see
0: it represented in this cool epilogue in the credits. You get this Mm -hmm. new adventure book with photos of things they're doing with Doug and doing at what I assume is like the Shady Oaks home that he goes to, right? And (laughs) it's not terrible. Like he ends up liking it, but you get this post that I think is this great thing of there is more life after grief. There is more adventure on the other side and this really cool connection to more boring everyday things. Like you get some really cool closure in that story and what could be mm-hmm. like throwaway epilogue credits that oh, the story doesn't end. The story continues, which
1: is so yeah. cool. And we see the whole kind of the end of the movie is wrapped up with the image of the dream fulfilled. We saw the house disappear into the clouds, but at the end, but as a sign of completion of this promise and the promises fulfilled, we see the house sitting on the cliff next to the falls and that's the last shot in the movie. That's a symbol for us that promises have been kept.
0: So those are some themes where we just see Jesus all over. The movie up. And that's fun to talk about. Great to make those connections to Jesus, but okay. So what? what who cares you know what 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 does that actually mean for us practically
1: yeah and i think that there's opportunities to bring up real things in a practical way i think for a children's movie to have such a unique representation of the path of grief for somebody, and Mm -hmm. even being able to recognize the emotions that are going on, we can connect that to real people's lives that we know that are going through grief. We can use that as an opportunity to say, hey, are not you noticing how Carl is feeling right now? Have we seen that in whoever we know who's lost someone? They might Mm -hmm. have felt like that at some point. I think that that's an opportunity for us to kind of, you know, help walk through those Stages of mm-hmm. grief with somebody and recognize that Jesus is present in that whole thing and gives that us an opportunity to move forward in that process.
0: Yeah. And I picture even a little bit more of the direct connections, too, of someday my. Daughter is going to watch up and she's mm-hmm. going to have grief, loss, you know, whether it's big and dramatic or it's very simple of a lost toy or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a friend moves or something like that. And there, there's some sort of relatability or connection that's relevant to her own life going like, hey, do you remember when in up, uh, Carl? Experienced loss. And it sounds kind of funny as you say it out loud, but I think these are like opportunities for conversation or at least familiarity, right? Of some of these themes and feelings um, that I remember when I was a kid were not represented in a lot of media, right? It was a lot of action, adventure, be brave, go out, get it, conquer Mm -hmm. the world, you know, kind of thing. Which, fine, those stories are great. But to have something where there's some sort of empathy or relatability or familiarity mm-hmm. in a story where like, I just, I just get really excited going. I've got some foundation or reference somewhere where like there's just opportunities, even if it's as we're watching it and she's making connections to things. It's pretty
1: fun to dream and yeah. think about. I think the second thing that it gives us an opportunity to talk about is the thread that goes through this whole thing of promises, the importance of keeping promises, the hunger we have for somebody who will keep their promises. And I think that from that standpoint, we have a direct connection to talk about how God always keeps his promises. We can count on what he says and that he died for us to keep his promises to Mm -hmm. us. And those are things I think that we can, in a movie like this, we can get a sense of that desire for mm. promises to be kept. Mm-hmm. And then we can make that connection. And say, you know, God wanted to keep his promises so yeah. much. He loves you so much that that he was willing to die mm-hmm. on the and, cross for you. And
0: understanding culture, like the value and impact of when you make a promise to someone, it's this reminder both from God of like the integrity behind a promise. You make it with the intent to keep it. No one makes a promise with mm-hmm. the intent of not keeping it to start. It all starts with good intentions. But for us, even saying when you make a promise to someone that carries weight, no matter who it is, mm-hmm. um, and go, and you see it reflected in this movie, like you see the impact of promises, yep. both realized and unrealized and their consequences, good or bad. And so it's just another moment to talk about. Yeah. Promises matter. And so yeah. when you make a promise, uh, just know what people expect and what does integrity with that look like? And are you willing to go as far
1: as yeah. it takes to uphold a promise or are you rushing into one for a different reason? You know, I think it's in Matthew five or six somewhere. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no, right? Oh. You know, <laughs> that's the, that's what just popped in. Yeah. The- yeah. No, well said. No, that's right.
0: And I think the last one is we have a savior who wants to do the boring stuff with yeah. us.
1: He wants to live our everyday life with yeah, us. Yeah, we don't have a God that is far off, that we're bothering him, you know, because that, that was Russell's objection, right? Phyllis or whatever said that he was bothering him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't have a God who's like that. We don't have a heavenly father who is, who is distant from us, who doesn't want to be with us. We have a heavenly father who wants to sit on the curb with us, do the boring stuff, and You know, count red and blue cars and eat ice cream. We can invite God Mm -hmm. into those everyday moments.
0: And, you know, so often we think that life with Jesus has to be Everest moment after Everest moment after Everest Mm -hmm. moment sometimes of like, Mm -hmm. I had this great worship experience and then I was really close to Jesus. And then I, you know, had this great Bible study. And like sometimes the beauty of a relationship with Jesus, more often than not, is in the mundane Every day, one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is okay, yeah. how can we see Jesus in the everyday stories of our lives? Because he's out there, he's in it, he's in all of it, right? Yeah. And when we build a muscle to see him in the boring, mm-hmm. in the everyday, and seeing why what we do and how we live and how we behave matters to that relationship and how we connect with him because he meets us in it, it just, ah, oh, that's the whole deal. I wanna yeah. live in a world where Jesus meets me when I make my pot of coffee in the morning. I wanna be in a world where Jesus meets me as I make breakfast and try to wake up when I'm really tired and like skip my workout and feel guilty about it. You know, God's still with me in that and he gets it. Doesn't mean I shouldn't still go work
1: out, right? But <laughs> he's in it. He's with it, you know, and I can I can talk to him about it. Yeah, you know, it's a big deal. I think the reason that we've had this conversation about this movie, why it matters to give a story like Up to Jesus, is because ultimately when we see a story that is craving to have these promises kept, we can see how this story points to jesus the one who always keeps his promises because the reality is jesus is the one who keeps all of the promises even in this movie charles Munts has this desire and makes this promise to restore his reputation and even though he can't do that christ can do that for us we see jesus restoring our reputation no matter how tainted we've made it no matter how much we've messed up he can fulfill that promise for us we see this desire for this fulfilled promise for russell that his dad would be with him and be this presence to do the boring things And we can see that promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus because we have a Savior who's with us always from now until the end of the age. We have this promise that Carl makes to not leave Kevin behind, to not leave or forsake you. And we see this promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus who says that I will never leave you. We have this ultimate promise in the movie of Up That Carl makes to Ellie to take her to paradise, to paradise falls, to (laughs) a land lost in time. Oh, come on. And we see this promise fulfilled Mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus who says, I've prepared a place for you that's outside of time, outside of suffering, outside of pain. And how does he keep this promise? He did more than cross his heart. He placed his heart on a cross because he loves us, because he loves you. And he died so that you and I could have that hope. And I think this story, when we give it to Jesus, can point to the hunger of the human heart to have someone who will always keep their promises. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that in this story and can be in our story because all good stories belong to Jesus.
0: So Simon so eloquently put it here at the end. Those are just a few ways we can give this story to Jesus and how we can grow our relationship with him when we lean into these themes and really kind of starting to apply some of that or seeing the opportunity to see this story in our own lives. In contrast, here's one way we should not give this story to Jesus with another cheap Christian knockoff of the story up. A heartwarming tale following the adventures of an elderly Sunday school teacher, Ethel, and her quirky wow. sidekick, Youth Pastor Pete, as they embark on a journey to spread the gospel one helium balloon at a time. ChatGPT proudly presents Up, Up, and Hallelujah. <laughs> Residing in a modest church that's about to be torn down for a mega mall, they hatch a plan to save their church by tying balloons to the church and floating it to the Holy Land to prove the power of faith. As they soar through the skies, Ethel starts preaching to the birds and clouds, Uh. while Pastor Pete attempts to parachute down to spread the gospel to unsuspecting skydivers. Never actually making it to the Holy Land, they crash land back where they started. The Mega Mall developers are so moved by their dedication that they decide to build around the church instead.
1: That is so bad. <laughs> <That> is <laughs> like worse. I don't Chat GPT, you kind of let me down a little <laughs> bit here, because it's not even like a a a great it's not even a good parody, you know, the, the
0: but, narrative arc here
1: is not great,
0: yeah, yeah the
1: the whole uh yeah, the mega mall thing there, oh good gracious, but, yeah just
0: just build around it, we but just here's start. the
1: thing, I do think that that it's so bad that I could foresee that actually being in a <laughs> curriculum somewhere. <laughs> you know, like, Sunday school hey. curriculum somewhere. This is
0: your opportunity to evangelize to those mega this mall builders, relevant. you know. They're going to see is your relevant. dedication. It's like
1: that popular movie from 2009.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There is a poor way of giving this story to Jesus. Well, Simon, all good things must come to an end, including this
1: podcast. Thanks again for joining us for episode two And we really hope this was useful and valuable and sparks uh, a conversation about Jesus uh, wherever you are. And we would love to keep the conversation going with you, no matter
0: where you are, because there's all sorts of other good stories and awesome nuances to explore in this movie and others. And you can track us down to talk about your thoughts, insights, questions, all those good things on Instagram at allgoodstoriespodcast. We would love to keep the conversation going and keep learning from you. But in the meantime,
1: remember that all good stories belong to Jesus.
0: And if you choose to give your story to Jesus, you can be sure he'll make it a good one.